that time of the week again. It's Flat Out RC podcast time, the time where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis and drones. My name's Andrew Sill coming to you from the land down under in Melbourne, Australia. Big shout out to all those people that are listening from abroad. And if you are listening from abroad, you're probably listening to me interview people from Australia primarily. And there's a reason for that. Time difference is a big challenge, trying to tee up people from overseas to get them in the right time frame. But whenever we can, we will get them. We've had a fair few. So thank you for joining us, no matter where you are. Another good episode. Uh, Last week, we had part one of the Cliff McIver uh, interview, and now we've got part two. Uh, We covered a lot more ground, so uh, stay tuned uh, for that. But before we get to part two of the Cliff McIver story, let's have a look at what's been on my mind. What has been on my mind? Well, I've, I've literally just got home from the the big event that I've been plugging, the Shepherd and Mammoth Scale Flying event. And uh, I'll just give you a bit of a quick synopsis of how that event went. Unfortunately, the weather was not on our side. had nothing to do with the club. The club did an excellent uh, job at putting on the event. The Valley Radio Flyers Club really pulled all the stops out to make sure the event's a good event. The field was immaculate once again. By the end of the weekend, the field was not immaculate. Uh, well, the runways were fine, but uh, some of the pit area and definitely the camping area and the driveway area was just mud. So weather forecast was pretty bad. Uh, we had uh, a lot of rain showers uh, that came through. So that really put a bit of a, a dampener on activities in a kind of way. And I think that the weather forecast put a lot of the visitors away as well. But the amazing thing was everybody still had a good time. There was nobody that turned up that that was really that disappointed because even though there wasn't a lot of flying happening due to the weather, there was a lot of chit-chats and a lot of catching up with, with people that we see very rarely. And I think that's a big part of the hobby as well as that social aspect. And so from a social perspective, it was really, really good. Uh, the campers arrived early. There were people there a week early and, and they'd done a lot of flying during the week. So this this Shepherd and Mammoth scale flying is really not just a, a, a weekend event. It's it's sort of going on for the whole week. You know, people sort of arrive early and the whole camping area had its own little village vibe happening as well. So um, and there were plenty of visitors that travelled uh, from far away. You know, Aaron Gale came from Queensland. Uh, Tim Nolan, the MAAA president, came down from New South Wales. A whole bunch of other people came from New South Wales. I uh, spoke to someone I think was from South Australia as well, young chap. Uh, so it was good to see that there's still a lot of support for, for this event. Uh, I did shoot a video. Uh, it could be live by now. I'm not sure, depending on my workload and how much time I've I've got to, to edit the video, but uh, it was, I must say, it was challenging shooting a video when there wasn't a lot of flying. Uh, but let's just say whenever there was an opportunity with the plane in the air, I got out there and tried to capture something. But speaking of planes, people did go up flying. So a, a big shout out to a few people that did uh, that did a great job at flying. And that uh, First of all, David and Melissa Law, excellent job. They really led the charge in getting up there in what was sometimes some difficult conditions, um, you know, fresh back from their, their World Champs expedition and... David's always a big, big supporter of just go for a fly no matter what the weather conditions are because, you know, it just helps with your flying. So they led from the front. Uh, John Googe got up there. Uh, we had um, Philip Singh with his big, massive Hempel Edge. He wasn't afraid to put it up there. Aaron Gale did a great job. A lot of demo flights doing some download 3D freestyle aerobatics. So did Riley Sills. Darcy Wilson did a good job in getting up in the air. Um, there was another gentleman who who won the Pilot's Choice Award and it was a 
I, I don't know his name. I think it was Michael, but um, I didn't get get, get his name unfortunately. But he he won the Pilot's Choice Award for his Reno Racer Corsair, and that guy ripped up the strip. He was really uh, flying hard. Um, oh, my phone's ringing. It's Gavin Sexton. He's gonna have to wait. I'll ring you back. Hi, Gavin. I know you'll be listening to the podcast. You just tried to ring me in the middle of me recording. Anyway, so where was I? So um. Some, some highlights of planes. Um, of course, the Corsair, the Reno Racer was, was a nice plane. Um, I think the uh, award for oh, some award, I can't remember what it was, whether it's a, an award given for one of the best models, was um, Tim Nolan's Spacewalker. And he's, he's just completed this um, kit build. It's an AMR kit from Canada, and it's this massive four meter wingspan. Spacewalker. I had a chat with him on air. Hopefully, it came out in the video. Um, but it's amazing plane. It, it really when planes get to that sort of giant, giant size, they're always impressive, no matter what model it is. But he's done an excellent job in, in building that plane, which is great to see. So not only is he is he our president at the MAAA, he's also um, a very avid builder, and he's, he was telling me he's got plenty more to do. He's got lots of other kits. He's got Tiger Moth on the go. He's still to do some more work on the Spacewalker. But um, yeah, it's a big, big plane. Had a lot of presence. He flew it on on the Saturday, and it was pretty gusty, crosswind. A big wing on it, massive wing. Came in, uh, had to go around because a gust of wind got in underneath one of the wings and started to tilt it up a fair way. And he just powered it. He's got a big DLE triple two engine in it, uh, which purrs along plenty of power. The, the model weighs thirty two kilos. So that's how big it is. But the motor pulls it along nicely, and he just climbed out and then um, did a pearl of a landing second time around. But um, really bumpy conditions, especially on the Saturday. But the amazing thing is, and I think the biggest takeaway from the event is how good these aero modelers are in rain, hail, or shine, turning up um, and making the most of it as well. Uh, a lot of people didn't pull the planes out, especially when it started to get a bit wet. Um, but that was fine. They were happy to leave their planes parked up uh, due to the weather. But uh, not one complaint. Even when the mud was all over the place in the in the thing, you know, we had one gentleman came and asked if we could help him get his van out that he got got stuck in the mud, and you know, a whole bunch of us just rocked the plane out. Uh, this is not the plane, rock rocked the, the the car out. Um, so it was all hands on deck, but still a really good turnout. Pilots, the pilots' registrations were really high. I had a chat with uh, Les Sawyer, the president, and he said their their registrations were really high. Um, visitor numbers were probably down due to the weather. Uh, but it's just been really, really wet down here in Victoria at the moment. Um, you know, the lakes are full, the rivers are flowing hard. A lot of the paddocks uh, I noticed were, were, were pretty soaked. A uh, bit of water across some of the rural roads as, as well. But all in all, you know, well done to everybody. And I'm not just saying it because, um, you know, often everyone just be really positive about uh, these events, but the weather wasn't great. We had rain showers for most of the weekend, um, but, you know, People really made the most of it, and the club did as well. Great food, a lot of food went through the uh, through the turnstile there, and um, good raffle prizes. Well done to Model Flight and to Ozstar Models for for supporting the event. Um, uh, the Model Flight had a couple of donated a couple of models, uh, some seagull kits, a couple of warbirds. Ozstar's. Um, gave a, a UMS radial engine, 100 cc. This is a $5,000 motor. They donated to the event. And um, Aaron Gahl won it. What a legend. Aaron Gahl, 
if any people know the Gale family down here, they're, they're very avid aero modelers. And if anybody's going to put that motor to good use, it's going to be Aaron and his dad. So congratulations for winning that. That was a, an awesome prize and, and a good reward for making the effort to come down from Queensland. So um, that was really good to see. David Law flew his big F-22 jet, uh, which uh, put on a bit of a show. Um, you know, Dave Lewis flew his, flew his Red Bull Edge. Uh, I'm trying to think who else I might have missed. Um, so as you can see, we made the most of it. So get onto the YouTube channel. Uh, if, if it's not already up, it will be up shortly. And that is the the, the little video that I've shot. So um, fingers crossed it all goes okay and I've got enough footage because it's really hard shooting a flying video when people aren't flying. So I did my best. Um, but anyway, we'll just you'll get to see some of the sights and sounds of the, of the event. So well done to Les Sawyer, the president, all the team at the Valley Radio Flyers Club. Uh, they really know how to put on that event. It was the 39th running and Les and I got a big plan to help pump it along so that uh, the 40th, the big 40th event is going to be a big one next year. Fingers crossed the weather will be good. So you've been warned, big one coming up next year. Um, all the uh, all the people that were there this year will be back, no doubt. We just will build on it and uh, hopefully the weather will be on our side. But well done to everybody. You really made it a good event. Well, it's guest time, my favourite part of the podcast because you don't need to listen to my voice so much, even though I do talk a bit in this episode because I'm having a chat with Cliff McIver. It's part two of the interview that I that I did with Cliff and uh, Cliff and I got so much to, to talk about really when you think about it. Uh, it's a, just a truckload of um, content to cover. And so this is part two. So in part one, we heard about um, Cliff's start in the hobby um, you know, early days, um, you know, some of the pattern flying kind of stuff, and then into um, his life running a, a hobby shop, Hawthorne Hobbies. Uh, and so we just keep on continuing. Um, and so we're getting, we cover a lot more ground. So let's just get straight into it. Here is part two of my chat with aero modeling legend here in Australia, especially down here in Victoria, Cliff McIver. We haven't talked about some of the planes that you, you, you've flown over the years, some of the, some of the, the planes mm-hmm. that sort of the iconic planes, because no doubt you've had a fair few over the years. But um, tell us a bit about your, sort of the planes that you chose and that kind of thing. I used to scratch build. Uh, I used to build uh, some Brian Taylor plans. They were an English guy, an English guy, and he made these beautiful plans for World War Two planes. And he made canopies and cows and uh, and, and fairings, uh, glass fairings and things you could buy with it. And that was a good way to build scale. And uh, you know, I used a friend of mine. Um, who used to paint my scale models for me because I just can't paint. <laughs> and that would that would make my models look very reasonable. So I'd say that my best model I ever had of a scale model was my Thunderbolt because it was well known from the air shows. And it was a great model and it had an OS61 in it and uh, it was an OS61 two-stroke and it howled around the sky and did some wild aerobatics and stuff and people clapped it when it landed and it was good fun. But um, I've had a lot of models. Uh, I've had a lot of people stay with me, two top flyers. One of the one of the nicest things I did was um, Kike Somazzini, the Argentinian world champion. Uh, he stayed here for a few days once, and we no, no, he would, no, he didn't stay with me, but I picked him up to take him up to, to the flying field to practice for a competition coming up on the Sunday, and he actually showed me. This is back in oh, way back. He showed me how to hover. Yeah. And he did his aerobatic model, you know. And um, 
So what we did, we came home and that night I went into my modelling room and I pulled the ailerons, elevators and rudder off a middle stick and built double the size ailerons, double the size elevators and double the size <laughs> rudder and put them on. Uh, I did it very carefully so that I didn't have to hinge it. I just joined the, like I left a half inch of wood on all the hinges, you know, and I yeah. just plugged them on. It was, it was just to get it done. And we went out the next day and he actually taught me to hover and I do claim that I'm the first person that ever know of any note in any way that flew in the hover. Yeah. Really? And I've got well, photos yeah, because he's 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 called the uh, the Godfather three D flying. Yeah, he was he was out yeah, there was hovering models and things like that. So he's uh yeah he started it all really. And he, his father was a great modeler too, and his father was his um, pit crew of course, and uh, um and he he was a lovely guy. I had I had dinner with them at the uh, nationals in ninety one. Uh, well, I met his father yeah, yeah in the, that's, that's, when the, that's when Brian Green ran the world championships. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Okay. What other models? I know, but you've had many aerobatic models, and you've seen plenty of yeah. changes in that yeah. aerobatic yeah. sphere. So well, tell us about some of those. There was a very good model called a Jam, um, which was a, an ARF kit that Saint Baru designed, and it came out of out of pilot, uh, the original pilot like um, models in Japan, and um, uh, that was a, a fantastic model to fly. It's just a brilliant model, and uh, I sold a few of those, but we we made a drawing of it and we made a kit out of it and called it something else. I forget what we called it. And uh, a few guys built those, and they all raved about as a flyer. It was a, it had big big settings on it, you know, big big ailerons and big had a very thick wing section. Andrew, that's how it started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, look, the aerobatic models are all a bit the same, you know. Some of them are better than others, but really and truly, they handle the wind. The old style aerobatic model, wind is not an air. It's not a big deal at all. <laughs> mm. yeah, yeah. yeah, they they do, like, obviously there must have been subtle differences between them, but they do all look like a formula in a kind of way back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, some slightly bigger ones were built when uh, the powerful uh, YS motor came out and, and, and they built slightly bigger, better models for those because they 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 had more power than everything else. The supercharging, you know, that's the normal two stroke, not the full strokes. Yeah. yeah. But then, did you get into the the, the composite models with the pattern flying? Yeah. Well, I've got a Windex Pro, which is a composite, <laughs> not fully composite, but it's part of it. Um, not really. No, I I haven't been enthusiastic about aerobatics for about ten years. Really. Uh, I still love it, but I'm not enthusiastic about it. It's, it's, you really got to throw a lot of dollars at it to be successful now. Wow. It is, it's one of those things that uh, it, it, I've seen this in car racing. Like I, I, I raced go-karts back in late 90s kind of thing. And and back then there were regulations that try to keep the cost down. You know, for example, we, we didn't have wet weather tyres. We only had slicks. So if it rained, we'd pump the tyres up. And get a bit of a curve in them, and see we cut through the water kind of thing, and and so you didn't have to have spare sets of wheels and tires and all that kind of just in case it started to rain. Then and you weren't allowed to use telemetry systems and all that. Now it all changed, and and so you know I raced on a shoestring budget, but now you couldn't even do it. You couldn't even turn up no, because no. you have to have this, that, and the other. And we keep on seeing that as these competitions progress, they okay. become more professional, and and there's more money, and we've seen. The increasing costs of the models with all full composite, 
the exchange rate doesn't help us here in Australia. So the models are expensive, the motors are expensive, the ESCs, and then you've got to have this certain radio that costs a fortune. And and then there's also the travel component. I mean, so the costs did escalate, and and then pilots were really good. So you had to practice a lot to compete to be competitive. And yeah. you can always yeah. say if you want to be a top level competitor in in pattern or iMac or scale or whatever, yeah, you've just got to do that. You don't have time. You can't go and muck around with your glider kind of thing. And and I think. You know that professionalism can can burn people out, and we see yeah. some people like a David Law that manages it okay. But yeah. when you have yeah. a look at someone like a Glenn Orchard, who is sort of like, I think I've run my race with pattern flying now. I'm happy to just go and fly a jet sure. or anything like, yeah, else. Sure. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and yeah. Just, and even Paul Marlin, uh, who I had on the podcast not long ago, and you know, the the amount of time he's spent in perfecting pattern flight. Yeah. It's, just, it's hard to maintain that rage for such a long period of yeah. time that, yeah, that yeah. you can have yeah. the move on kind of thing. And um, it'd be good if they if people could find a balance. But realistically, if you want to compete at the top level, yeah, you yeah, do it, don't you? Yeah. Well, I'm, what I'm, about I'm some some of those aerobatic models with full of their gear are at ten grand. They're oh, just yeah. two meter models. They're not big aeroplanes. <laughs> but do you know what? Like when I used to sell three D hobby shop planes, yeah. Um, you know, this is we're talking about 2013 to about 2017, something like that. Um, you'd get a hundred cc, right? And and I'd do the cost of how much would it cost to buy a hundred cc, um, you know, aerobatic model with a a motor up the front, servos, all that kind of stuff. And it was roughly around the five thousand dollar mark, roughly. Yeah. And back then, the exchange rate was really good. It was on parity with the US because everything. You know, when you buy kits from China like I was, it's in US dollars. You have to pay them in US dollars. Uh, but anyway, nowadays, fast forward, the price of the kits is now 30% higher just on the back of the exchange rate straight away, 30% higher easily, right? Shipping costs have gone up and all that kind of stuff. So that same model is now costing you $8,000. And that is purely not because of margin because, you know, you didn't make a lot out of selling a, uh, out of selling a model. Um, and you wouldn't sell many of them, so it's not a great business. But but we've gone from five thousand to eight, and the same things happen with the pattern models. That now you know a model that used to cost say five thousand is costing you you know eight plus. You know, Uh, and so it's yeah. There's certain there has I definitely believe there has been a rise. But the other side to it though is people are still buying them. Yeah, I know. Like they're selling. Well, you know that gets to talk about hobby shops. The only really successful hobby shops running around now are selling large, large models. Well, it, Mike Which, O'Reilly. I only know one shop in Melbourne that sells normal hobby stuff, and that's a lovely little shop over in Blackburn, um, uh, Xerxy XCRC. XCRC. XCRC yeah. in, in Blackburn. And I don't know any other shop to go to. It's- not in not in Melbourne. In Melbourne, there's it, we've pretty much dried up. Uh, you got a bit of RC world up in Geelong. Um, yeah. There's still got some stuff, but but uh, with Eddie Edwards up there. But but um, Albury RC. Um, but that yeah. when we talk about yeah. local Melbourne, yeah. there's there's nothing. I'm buying my stuff from say Desert Aircraft up in up in Queensland. Yeah. Ian, yeah. Ian and Mark up there do a great right. job. Um, but Mike O'Reilly said to me when I interviewed him uh, that. Their aim with their business was to never play at the low end because he said that was just a recipe for disaster and your business yeah. would fail because you're scraping the barrel, margins are low, 
yeah. you're dealing with a different clientele that really is just looking for cheap, and cheap means they're going to keep you poor. You know, they're yeah. not going to buy good stuff with right. you know reason, you know, fair and reasonable margins. And so he's always said, sort of middle of the road is where they they sort of played with it at, at a better quality end. And he thinks that's what you know has held him in good stead. And we, we look at something like Hobby King coming into the market, yeah. and they went down the, the cheap end. And look at where their business is now, that it's a shadow of its former self. They came in with all this bluster and and and, and a certain level of arrogance in a kind of way that we can look at it hindsight and talk about it now because they shut down their operation in Australia. I, I've spoke, I spoke to their CEO at one point in time who was interested in, in advertising in a magazine but said, oh, no, those metrics don't add up to, to what we want. I'm like, yeah. oh, well, good on you, buddy. And now look where you are now. That you yeah. know, Who's buying yeah. Hobby King models? You know, a few, a few batteries and stuff like that. But um, and we've seen those those good good businesses that have really focused on on decent stuff, you know, like the Aubrey RCs, the Desert Aircrafts, the Model Flights, um, Perth RC still going um, okay over there in WA, servicing yeah. that sort of market. But but it's really dried up in the in the Melbourne. And you know what, Cliff, I don't think it's going to come back. No, no, I don't think so either. Yeah, it it. it, it if fortunately, we do have the internet, which means we can buy these things. But, um, yeah, I, I get really concerned. As I said earlier, you're probably one of the last of those that breed of um, hobbyists that owned the shop that was you know got their hands dirty for their customers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's a changed world. It really is. Mm. You know, it, it, this like new generation wouldn't know what we know like the smell of walking into a hobby shop and seeing model planes hanging from the ceiling yeah. that that excitement that you get as a kid walking oh, walking people, into the shop oh yeah but, um i had customers that grew up and got their little had their children and they bring the children in just to show them the model planes hanging up and they yeah. drool over them for about a quarter of an hour <laughs> yeah yeah no that i just those vivid memories of just walking in and just yeah you know, did you ever go looking. into Hawthorne Hobbies? Did you ever come yes, in? Yes, I did. I did. Yeah. I I bought something. I I bought something from Hawthorne Hobbies, and I can't remember because I built I built something. Probably could have been in the middle of the nineties. I built an an Aeroflight kit. I built an Aeroflight Albatross, probably in the late eighties into the well, early nineties. Well, the Albatross is one of my models too. Oh, yeah. Did you design that? Well, I explain it. It's it's actually a, a, an American plane called an Olympic. An Olympic uh, wings and tail, and and the shape of the fuselage is the shape that they had on previous model plane. Yeah, a bit like an, so yeah, I shaped it like a bit like an Aries. That's all it was. It was just shaping a, a fuselage to their shape, you know. To, yeah, and and other choices What did you know about Aeroflight? Because I don't, we don't, I don't know the Aeroflight story. Oh, there's nobody now. I don't think. No, no, it doesn't exist sort of now, but but you obviously knew the, the people that ran it. and Yeah, a couple of good guys. Yeah, a couple of good guys worked there. Um, unfortunately, the guy that I, I did the Hustler 3 through, he he was a, a director or something, but he was gone a year or so later. So they never promoted the model uh, the way they should have. They, he had plans on doing that, but they still sold, sold a lot of them. But how did that relationship work with you and Aeroflight with some of these models? Oh, I think they gave me a couple, a few kits, four, three or four kits or something, for, for free, and that's all I got. <laughs> but what did, did you come up with ideas and give him ideas about models? Well, or? A friend of mine drew the plans up and everything. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, a friend of mine, he did it for free, but 
that we, uh, I, and I gave him one of those kits. <laughs> Do you think yeah. uh, one of my observations when I got involved with the industry, so I a little bit dabbled in it, nowhere near like you have done over the years, but to me it was, um, it didn't seem to be an extremely sophisticated um, business practices. It was all a bit because the margins weren't there that it was handshake deals kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, it's always attracted that sort of. Yeah, yeah. I think I think part of it is it couldn't be extremely formal because it was sort of a niche kind of thing. And like I said, the margins were there. Like I've met uh, I've met a number of the the factory owners in China. You know, the guy that builds Extreme Flight Pilot RC, Tony Tan. And, and 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 the owner of Dual Sky um, with electronics and stuff like that, yeah. and they all say the same thing with a smile on their face. Yeah, uh, there's not good money in this. We don't make a lot of money, you know. He said, but we love it. And, you know, Tony Tan from Pilot RC said to me, "I said, how did you get into this, Tony?" He said, "Well, I started flying model airplanes and I kept on crashing them, and I thought, well, if I start my I start building my have my own company building model airplanes, I'll never run out of models to to, to fly. <laughs> and so, and he, then he kills himself laughing. And I said, "And Tony, how many staff have you got?" And he goes, 60. <laughs> He's got sixty staff." I said, "Tony, this is not a small business if you've got sixty staff." He goes, "Yeah, not a lot of money in it though." And even yeah. even the owner of Extreme Flight said to me, "You know, all it is is we're just trying to make enough money to get to retirement with a bit left over." <laughs> That's yeah. what he says to me, yeah. because yeah. he knows he goes, "You're not going to become a millionaire." Yeah, yeah. yeah. You could, if if you're lucky enough to have a, a make a spare part for a, a major uh, brand of car, and they bought them from you, you'd be a multi millionaire on the one part, wouldn't you? Yes, that's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. What about um? What are your thoughts about jets and turbine jets? Because you would have seen the growth of them in the hobby. I, yeah, I I like certain ones. Um, um, there are some really good ones. And the only thing about the jets is they copy each other with their manoeuvres. They don't – they're not creative at all. They just copy yeah. each other and just stacks of manoeuvres that jets can do that I've never seen them doing any of it. Now, never seen a jet do anything that fascinates I see them do some nice landings and nice takeoffs, but uh, the manoeuvres, they're all all this whippy stuff and, and uh, no, no. You know what? I actually agree with you. And and, and the, the jet pilots, you know, listening to Cliff and I, that there is all, almost like this thing that everybody does, which is take off, fly circuits really high, do a low pass at high speed, do a low pass at slow speed, do a roll, do a knife edge pass and whatever. But... One of the one of the things that you know in buying, I've got a I've got a jet. Yes, everyone, I've got a jet. Everyone picks on me and says, oh, "You always talk about your jet." Well, my jet's coming. It hasn't arrived yet. My replacement jet after the well known crash. But one of the one of my ideas of getting a jet was to put on a good flying display. I go on a journey to see if I can develop a, a, a routine or something that was was good. Like I talked about Jace Ducia flying, you know, precision three D aerobatics. You should see him fly a jet or Ali Machinchi. I love watching him fly jets um, and seeing videos of him fly because he does, he does things. He does a few yes, things. Yes, it's a spectacle. But I think a lot of these guys that ha- you can tell the guys that have got a patent background that fly jets uh, because yeah. they fly it a bit differently. But there's the challenge, Cliff, that we can put out to the turbine community. I've actually talked to a few, couple of jet pilots that are sort of you know the better ones, and I said, look, you know when you do a loop, why don't you do a full roll across the top? Can't lose. It'll. You started at about 
10 o'clock and, you, and you're inverted at 12 o'clock and by the time you get over to 2 o'clock, it's, it's, it's back and straight. It's just like doing a loop, but it looks fantastically better. Yeah. Mate, they don't try it. They don't try it. No, nah, yeah. but I think you know what it is, and I can appreciate this, is that some of these jets are pretty damn expensive and they don't want to... They don't want to throw them around. That, that's a move you do at the top. You see, you do that at yes. maximum height. There's no risk in it whatsoever. No, no. I don't like. I don't like watching jets take off, do that half roll, three quarter roll, what it is, and then push the down elevator and come around inverted. That's just ugly. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. you got it. Well, I, no, I do agree. Yeah. We need to get people to get a bit more creative with their jets. Yeah, you know, um, everybody that comes to the Wang Jets event, I don't want to see circuits at yeah. 600 feet that are three kilometres out. I, I, please, bring it a bit closer and give, put it in a spectacle. Give me a display. You know, yeah. There's some good pilots that can that can do that. Um, I, I, you know, I, there's one thing I have enjoyed at some of the jet events is when you might get a couple of guys that might have a couple of you know F-16, F-18s kind of thing. Yeah. I once saw Tyson Dodd and I think it was Paul McCarthy do a uh, a, a a flight together where they yeah. tried to follow each other, and that was that was good to see these beautiful scaled jets, and they'll throw the planes around in in the sky as well and put on a bit of a spectacle, which is good. But um, yeah, actually, that's, that's an interesting point, and I actually do agree with you, Cliff. So whether people listen to yeah. us, they, they just probably like won't. to see them do something. Um, uh, I, I do things in front of them. I drag out a model and it's, they don't bother looking, I guess, but I'll, I'll do a vertical ace and just by going around in a half loop, rolling out and then pulling up again, doing one at the top, then rolling, and it's all inside loops, two inside loops, and it's just so easy. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. you just got to be prepared to go high. And that, you know. um, I think we, we ran over, we, we mentioned Michael Andrusik. Now, there's enthusiasm for you. Michael Andrusik has dragged um, that large-scale flying uh, aerobatics. Yeah, IMAX scene. He has dragged that in, and now they're having competitions with 20 and 30 entries. Yeah, down here in Victoria, we went from from two and a half people to to, to 20, and it was just the come try day. And he doesn't like – I've mentioned to him so many times, and he doesn't like the praise. He doesn't think it was was really all him, but – like Michael, someone had to take the take the lead, and you took it, and and it spread this whole new new thing, and um and yeah, and, and he's a good pilot too, and uh, and competes and really enthusiastic, which that's what we need. Enthusiasm breeds enthusiasm. Do you know what I saw him doing last week? What you ready? Flying control line aerobatics. Oh, he mentioned he's, that, and he's very good at it too. Very. Yeah. Good. Have you yeah. got some control line planes? Have I? Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, what, have you got a few of them? Uh, yeah, but I haven't got any really great stunters anymore. Um, yeah, I've got a few, but I, I don't go in it and do it much. They're just lying around. Oh, well, I, I want to I control. I've never flown control line. And my son said to me, no, no, my son said to me one day, I think it'd be, I think oh, he said, Daddy, what's that thing the way you hold on to and it goes round in circles? He said, control line. He said, oh, he said, I think I could do that. This is when he was eight. He said, mm. I think I could do that. I said, why do you think you could do that? And he said, because I'm connected to it. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so oh, oh, yeah, well, that's that's not a bad little concept. You know. Tell me, of course, they forget that I fly both. <laughs> yeah, well, if you know, if you've got a control line and it's ready to go, and you need to get rid of it, you know, you know my number. Oh yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. you could maybe you could teach me. I'll come down to Doncaster. We'll get on the, the, the circuit. Uh, yeah, I'm not not good at teaching control line. <laughs> oh, no. better than oh, well, look, I'll, I'll learn by myself then. Okay, I'm just I'm scared I get dizzy. Yeah, I get dizzy now. <laughs> I was 80 this year. I was 80 in July, so I'm allowed to get dizzy now. <laughs> well, well, today, as we record this, is my dad's 82nd birthday and my brother's 50th birthday. They were born on the same day. Yeah. I always say to my dad, what a terrible birthday present to get my brother as a, as a birthday present 50 years ago. But uh, but happy birthday to them. This is the day that we're recording it, which is uh, a bit before this live the go-live date. But, um, but, yeah, you're doing well for 80. Yeah, no, and 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 loving it. Yeah, yeah. I built in the lockdown. I uh, I built a couple of models, and I made them interesting. By they were models I'd had uh, 46, 40 size way back, like 30, 40 years ago, and um, I scaled them up a little bit, and the forty model became a um, a seventy two four stroke model. You know, okay, it's yeah, really, really nice. It's a middle stick, and it's, it's an ultra stick one we had running out of the shop. We used to kit up a a model at one stage, and it was yeah. a cool, an ultra stick back before there was ever any other ultra sticks. And uh, and uh, and then another one I made, and I, I made the wing bigger than I thought. And I, fortunately, I had an OS124 stroke lying around, so I stuck that in. That's been a real success thing. That's they're both trainers just scaled up, you know. Yeah, yeah, okay. Now, the um. Yeah, I thought of something just then as you were you were talking about uh, about sticks and stuff, which I can't remember. Well, well, what happened with the shop? Oh well, uh, my back injury got worse and worse and worse, and I decided to ring up the landlord and tell him that tell her that I was going to close up on a certain date. I closed up, and within seven days, my back collapsed completely, and I went into hospital urgently, and they did my big back operation. Oh really? And I've got steel. I've got stainless steel uh, titanium rods and brackets in my back. Yeah. Okay. Well, the um, did you try to sell anything, or what did you do? Did you keep leftover oh, stock? No, no. I sold. I sold most of it really by by just sending out to people I knew were my customers. Hmm. I didn't. I didn't send them out to all my customers. I sent them out to people I thought would buy something, and I didn't. I did not get left with any kits. Or balsa, I got left with some Dubro, which everybody gets left with Dubro when you're close. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, don't you do the? Isn't the Dubro thing where you you go out there and say, "Look, give me four hundred bucks, you're going to have the whole wall yeah. <laughs> taken off me." Yeah, yeah. yeah and, I, I and, made a mind did that, and he's got he's got Dubro stuff everywhere, and it's like you're never going to use that, you're never going <laughs> to use that, you're never going to use that. Well, fifteen years later, I've run out of certain bolt sizes now that are popular. <laughs> oh gee, what's the world coming to? You have to go and find some hobby shop closing down and buy their Dubro wool. Yeah. <laughs> well, I kept a few a few kits for myself uh, when I when I closed up, but again, nowhere near what the level that you were doing. And uh, I still got some of the parts here. If anybody needs some wheel pants for some three D hobby shop planes, just yell out because uh, <laughs> yeah. I have a few lying around. Yeah. And and, and propellers. I I I was I, I was. Selling Falcon propellers before yeah. you know they were well, they were starting to become popular uh, back then and uh, and I had to you know you always had to order bulk kind of thing and I've still got a lot of um 
small oh. size Falcon propellers are sitting there, but no, I just leave them there, and if you know, I'll use them over the years. Well, I've still got a box of propellers too. <laughs> That's fifteen years later. Are you working on any models now? Are you building anything? Uh, what have I been working on? Um, yeah, well, matter of fact, I've just resurrected a little model from Les Bollenhagen Bolly Products. Did I mention it already tonight? No, you mentioned it to me off air, so tell everybody. Oh, right. Okay, a little co- called a, a, a something cat. Uh, it's a, it's Les Bollenhagen owned Bolly Products and they made fuselage, they made propellers, but they made fiberglass fuselages and wing coolers for models. And this little racing plane was a, like a half hour racer for electric and we raced, it was the very first time we raced electric um, electric pylon racing. And the models had these heavy batteries, like seven cell, like not a CADs and things, and a cobalt motor that weighed somewhat like 300 grams or something. So I put it, I've got the same model, flash cat, it's called a flash cat. And I put the um, a, a, a bit of a hotted up motor in it, which is about a quarter of the weight. Uh, speed controller was half the weight. And of course, the battery, the little four-cell battery, is about uh, one third of the weight of yeah, the battery yeah. in it. So the model's so light, and I test flew it this weekend uh, when on Sunday, and I had to get off the throttle because it goes <laughs> fast. It's ballistic, and yeah. when you get off the throttle, you can glide it round the flying field like a glider for about three laps. Oh, really? Yeah. That much speed. Yeah. So that's a model that was designed. In, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 35 years ago, and uh, and it was much better. It was only the fact they were heavy that we had to land them straight, you know, had to come in very careful, and and, and now it's just a ballistic missile. Different, different plane. That's just something I just do. I dabble around a bit. Um, well, I've never. I've, every time I've seen you at the flying club flying something, it's never the same model. So, yeah, you know, yeah. and and like you said earlier, you're happy to fly anything. But uh, what what would what would be your go to model now when you go for a fly? Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, oh, one of these one of those trainers probably. Those two trainers I built in the lockdown because I like I love four strokes. I love four strokes. I like working on them, and I like listening to them, especially OS ones. They sound the best. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've come to like Sato four strokes too because they've improved them so much. Um, but um, no, I am happy flying anything. Um, I recently just acquired a brand new OS 60 four stroke open rocker cover. Open rockers. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and I think, I believe, I, I, I know I know it's uh, a sought after motor, but. Um, I think it's the first commercial four-stroke motor ever put on the market. I think it is. OS 64-stroke open rocker. There were other people made four-strokes, but I think it was commercially made. I think it's the first four-stroke motor on the market. Yeah. It's brand new. We've got to do something with it. I was going to ask you a question uh, about – uh, getting kids into the hobby and and where your thoughts are with that because you you did a lot of work in in fostering kids at the club and getting them involved yeah. and getting their start in aero modelling. Definitely, we all know it's a different era. I've seen you down with your grandson Bailey down at the field and that kind of thing. You know, do you think that it's it's just too hard a job now to get the kids back in and we should be focusing on sort of an old demographic as as new blood or, or what are your thoughts? Uh, it's a hard one for me to explain. Um, the way it's done at the club. 
where I'm in at Doncaster, it's not successful. It's just not successful. The way they do it at Packham, and it's called support, support. A, a father or a mother has to take the child to get to Packham, right? It's a big effort to get down there. So they make an effort. So what the members do, they make an effort too. If the boy, if the if the parents haven't got bundles of dough and, and the guys have got models that can help, they they donate models to them, right? It's really it's really very well encouraged back at them. And that's how we get um um young Harrison, you know Harrison? Yes, I know Harrison well. And his mate. And uh and there's a few others that that haven't gone on to the big stuff like that yet. But that they are encouraged and they are uh, given. I, I, uh, I had a talk to Harrison a, a year ago and I said, look, Harrison, you, you, um, you're not really flying the straight line that I always talk about, you know. Yeah. I said, I'm, I'm giving you a nice, I've given him this little jet. And I said, now, look, go and put your receiver in that, fly the jet and fly it down low and tell me whether you've learned to fly a straight line. The jet flies a straight line on its own, you know. It's really yeah. it's a gem of a thing. Three, just a little 3S battery pack thing. And he did. And he came to me and he said, oh, I now know when I'm flying level, you know, mm. because it's taught me. And, and, and that, that's something I did for him, but other people have given them lovely little models and they've been able to join in the fun fly competitions with them and stuff like that. Without, well, now that they've all progressed, it's all your fault. Now they're into iMac and they've got these yeah. massive planes. And yeah. but you know what? They've that, that that whole sort of young contingent from Packenham has really got into iMac and yeah. they're actually really good at it. Like they're performing really. Yeah. Harrison's doing really, really it's well. The right mother, and if the right father and son arrived there this weekend, it would happen again. That's how, that's how good it is when it happens. Yeah, yeah. It it's well. a definitely. And you know, like you said, with, uh, what you were doing at Doncaster and running those those air shows, and and the, the advantage again of Doncaster being so local, it, it you have you got into the hobby like most of us from seeing somebody do it. Yeah. It's a visual thing, and the more opportunities. Mike O'Reilly and I talked about that once when I went visit him in Adelaide. You know that it's just about putting it in front of people, and and you know what? Nowadays, it's not that hard to do that, uh, Cliff, because you've got something called Facebook, and I'm not talking about all the aero models that are created, more and more Facebook pages just preaching to the converted. I'm talking about putting a little video together to promote the hobby that you pay to advertise it for 100 bucks, and people start to see and go, gee, that's exciting, and then you link it. Like, the local clubs won't do that. They won't. No. I'm not seeing any effort by local clubs to drive. Everyone talks about it, and nobody's making any effort. And... You know, even what I do, Cliff, with this podcast, I'm talking to people that are actively involved in the hobby. That they only find out when they look for it. So yeah. I'm, I'm putting, you know, I'm not doing a lot, but behind the scenes, I've been trying to encourage and I'll support anybody with my skill set to help out. But um, they just don't knock on the door. So if they don't knock on the door, I can't find them. So um, well, um, you must know that the reason the reason that we don't have air shows at Doncaster Club now, um, uh, was because where the entry into the where we took the money at the front gate was under the flying line. Oh yeah, yeah. and we had we have a huge insurance problem for that. That's and that's the thing. Look, look yeah, <laughs> it's harder to run some of those kind of things, say at Doncaster, but um, but other clubs can do it. It's uh, the perfect place to do it. <laughs> yeah, other mm. clubs could could create an air show and promote the air show, and then. You know, do it in the school holiday time or something like that. There's a lot of different ideas, but it, it, you know what involves 
yeah. uh, human resources, uh, time, and sometimes a little bit of money. It's, it's effort, and I don't think mm. that you know there are enough people you know in the in the community to, to go and want to do that kind of stuff like what we used thoughts? to. Yeah. Well, what were your thoughts on um, racing planes at um, Sandown? I thought it was uh, okay. I had a little bit of involvement very early on, pre the first one at Sandown, and I thought that um, it was it was it was a good it was a good move. Um, yeah. And uh, the problem was the financial metrics of the event were pro- prohibitive, and and mm. you even need to spend more. You needed to go further and promote a bit harder to get more bums on seats. That it was yep. like a it was a break even exercise, yeah. um, and I, but I thought that it was it was something, but it I, it doesn't necessarily need to be that that big. It could be a local flying club just putting on an air show for the day that they promote to the local area and just get the local local families in because families will turn up. You know, we've got the Shepherd and Mammoth event coming up. Uh, When's this episode going to come out? Yeah, in a, in a, in about a week's time, or no, the coming weekend. Yeah, it's 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 the coming weekend. Um, uh, and so, or no, oh, it may have just passed because we're gonna we're gonna have a part one and part two, I think, Cliff, for this because we've been going for two hours. But but it, it's just been been. We've just let's just say it's just been right. So um, and and when you go to an event like Shepparton and they'll promote it to the local area, you see the families come out for the day trip because. This is one of the one of the things nowadays is I've got young kids. What can I take them to? Even though there's there yeah. are options, yeah. but yeah. where's something that we can just go that something might be a bit different? And remember when we were when we were you know, well, you would have probably have done this and, and and when I was younger, the concept of taking the kids for a drive. Mm. You know, we were just get in the car and just drive along the beach or drive to a country town. We yeah. don't have that. We don't have that anymore. And by the way, if the kids are in sitting in the car, they're looking at their uh, phones and watching right. YouTube videos and TikTok videos. But um, but yeah, giving families an option to say, okay, come and have a picnic here. Imagine a picnic air show. You know, actually, I was driving past. I was coming home from my um from my holiday house in the country up near um up near Mount Buller, and I was coming ba- down through a town called Main Dample. And as I look to the left, and I've been past Main Dample hundreds of times now i look across and i go there's a runway there and it's yeah. just been cut right and so i go i get home and i get onto google maps and i have a look and sure enough i think it's a private strip but it's immaculate and the thing is what caught my eye is could you imagine running a, an event there yeah it's a beautiful setting beautiful you know a nice landscape and you could go there, they've got a beautiful cut grass strip and yeah. plenty of flying space. There's accommodation five minutes down the road. You know, you could, they'll probably let you camp at the field. You've got Main Damble. You could camp mm. at Main Damble. There might be Caravan Park or something there. It's like imagine if you could what you could do with that kind of thing. But Yeah, yeah, I go with that. In the early days of um, Shepherd and uh, Mammoth, uh, they had some pretty reasonable crowds there. Yes. I, yeah, yeah. I, I guess they all paid to get in uh, uh, something. So yeah, that's it's, true. It's, it's still possible to run a good air show. I know, I know it is, but um, you've got to run at the right place. I think that's yeah. right. As we saw like even um, locally here, the Tyab Airport when they run their air shows, it's busy. Like they yeah. get they yeah. get bums on seats there, and so yeah. people do like that aviation kind of thing. So it's just, but you know, it comes down to having some people that want to do it. I, I recently got asked by a friend of mine who used to run these aerobatic fun fly events, 
And I recently got asked by a friend of mine, hey, these guys in South Australia want to run an event, do you want to get involved? And I said, well, it's all inv- it's all about me. It all ends up being about me making the effort and there's nobody else to help out. And I do the flyer and then I run the day and all that, kind, which was good, but um, but I can't afford the time to go across to South Australia, attend the event, organise it and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I'll plug it through my channels, but um, but it, it becomes like it, I go to events and I don't actually like Shepherd and Mammoth. I don't even take a plane. I take a, I take camera gear, yeah. I take photos and that kind of stuff. And uh, so I put these, and, and that's just self-inflicted too. I could just leave the camera gear home, but I don't want to. But um, I don't know, changing times. I just thought of something I hadn't mentioned, but some of the uh, overseas people we've had out here to fly aerobatics have been absolutely delightful people. Um, the uh, Ivan Christensen, the Canadian, uh, he he came out here, uh, I think, on three or four occasions. Uh, sometimes our APA paid to get him out here. And we got crowds of people coming in at Avalon, not Avalon Airport, at uh, the one down at Werribee there. Um, nice. when, yeah, when, when we ran uh, events and people came in to see these international flyers, we had um, Dave Patrick, he designed... A lot of the Carl Goldberg models, uh, like oh, yeah. the Ultimate and, and the Yaks and the Caps and stuff. And uh, we, you know, uh, Chip Hyde, we had Chip Hyde out here a couple of times. We had, um, um, uh, what's the name from Argentina mentioned before? Okay. GK. And, and we really had some really and some non known flyers. One guy was a tow truck driver and he apt turned out to be the best guy you could possibly bring. <laughs> He had ideas, you know, and uh, he's the Ray. His name was. He stayed here, and so so I I've been able to uh, meet up with some of the best in aerobatic flies, and a lot of my thoughts about aerobatics were their thoughts, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um. One of the things that aerobatic does is you don't have any alcohol around it till after it. <laughs> yeah, you can't. We can't afford to. Yeah, that's right. It's probably that, yeah. But aerobatics was very strong on that, where other factions of the hobby, they were getting into it by the time the last plane flew, they were into it, you know. Do you know, I had Norm Morrish on the on the, on the the podcast and he was telling me about stories about back in, oh, I would have been <laughs> 70s and stuff, and the drinking culture at the Flying Club. Like oh, he was saying that- it was shocking down at Packham. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. They're not with us now, but I won't talk about it. I won't mention the names. But no, um, but I heard that they used to be drink on the way there, have a drink there, and then on, on the way yeah. home. Oh, oh. <laughs> it's funny that there's all sorts of stories around those same guys that probably not related to drinking, but uh, there's some really horrific stories about it. Well, you would have seen a lot over the years. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I won't well, get into that side of it, though. Well, who's, um, who's been like... The best pilot that you've seen fly, the besides best me, pilot, the best Australian pilot. Yep, I reckon. You ready? Hans Lichtens or David McFarlane? I think beats Hans. David McFarlane. Really? I don't know yep. David McFarlane. I've seen, I've seen all the rest. Don't name any others, but David McFarlane is a very talented flyer. He's the poor old David McFarlane from Wollongong um, owns the hobby shop there. He he um, has never been very well. He's, he's had a sickness all his life, 
Uh, I remember talking to him in 91 at the World Championships there at Wangaratta for an hour, and he was telling me he'd been pretty crook. Well, he, he's, he's had a hard time, but he's a fabulous flyer, and he helps trim the models in New South Wales, and they all come up real well, you know. He's really a popular. So that's number one. Mm. What about international pilot that you've yeah, seen fly? Uh, I think precision-wise, um, uh, the Canadian, uh, uh, Ivan, Ivan, Ivan Christensen, I think he was the most ge- geometrically correct pilot in aerobatics. Um, yeah. Uh, I saw I saw at the World Championships, I watched a few, like Hanno was there, but unfortunately Hanno wasn't well. He came third, I think, in the World Champs in, Mel- in Victoria, but he, I think he did, but... It, he wasn't well, and um, I saw Chip Hyde win it. And I, even though I was friendly with Chip and all that, I, I couldn't see how that flight won it. I just couldn't work it out. But anyway, he won it. Um, but Hanno um, Pretton is the great. Yeah, Wolfgang Matt impressed me a lot. In the early days, he came out, Wolfgang Matt came out with um, the German from Liechtenstein, uh, from Liechtenstein, sorry. Uh, he came out with his arrow and he was doing low. Knife edge passes with snap rolls. Hmm, so imagine down, you're down about five foot off the ground, and he's doing snap rolls as he goes by, just slowing down a bit. Then does, and that was like that was all done with his hands. It was no gadgetry. Like, yeah, they're pretty good flyers. <laughs> the, the world famous are pretty good. And, and my my favourite flyer on YouTube is the chap from um, South Africa. Um, the 3D flyer, Fleming, Hemming. Uh, um, oh, he, he's got a lot of videos and he flies He flies beautifully. He's a beautiful not, 3D flyer. Not Martin Pickering. Yeah, Martin Pickering. Uh, he's Martin. not from South Africa. He's from well, – he lives in Spain. He's originally from the Spain, world. Spain, born sorry, here. Spain. Yeah, you got him right though, Martin. He's a great yeah. – Yeah, yeah, we've yeah. had him on the podcast a couple of times. I need to get him well, back on, but he uh, – he uh, he yeah. was recently in Australia for the Festival of Aero Modelling. They brought oh, him out, but um, yeah. but yeah, yeah, he's a he's a he's a good pilot, isn't he? Oh yeah, he's a great pilot. Yeah, that, and and that's how I judge him because if he flies like that, that's getting nines and tens from me. <laughs> if, if you fly around, if you fly around and do a four point roll at at eighty five degrees and at, at not on the horizontal and not and going up and down, I don't. Give you a score for that. <laughs> yeah, you well, you like to see nice, neat flying, yeah, don't you? It's got to be precise. Paul Marlin flies very well. He didn't. He didn't win a lot of stuff, but if he had a, if he had to put his head down for another year or two, he could have gone to the very top. Yeah, I think he. I think it was one of those situations of sort of burning out, and then you know he's a bit like me. We drift in and out of different hobbies, and we, we never let go of them. But we, you know, and he got into the car racing thing, and then he got into the motorbikes again, and. Uh, and, and and now he's getting really into playing music, guitar, bass guitar and stuff. So, yeah, but he's and he's got the motorbike. So we're going to go for a ride soon in the in this springtime, maybe into the summer. Have I tired you out, Andrew? <laughs> well, well, you know what? This is the first part one, part two uh, episode that I've done. But I'm I'm so glad we have. Uh, now we're going to ask that final question, which is the question that everybody can't wait to uh, to hear. And it's going to be an interesting one. You sort of you mentioned a model earlier in the in part one of the uh, the uh, the podcast, but what has been your all time favourite model? Yeah, my all time favourite model. Mm. 
Um, I think, even though I've had 13 or 14 of them, the middle stick. Really? Yeah, because you can do so much with it. In the early days, we used to have fun fly competitions. Fun fly, you know, like yeah, yeah. I, I went off to Packenham one day with a young lad. Um, uh, uh, his father saw me recently. Uh, Patrick Lennon and I, we went off to Packenham with two models and a third wing because I made a flat bottom wing for the glide. And, and we both used that wing on our models for, in the competition. And out of and flight line models, presented all these trophies, about 14 different trophies, and we won about 12 of them. <laughs> well, because we specialised in fun flying, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tell you something I haven't mentioned, the oh, VMAA no. trophy. Well, yes. The, well, the well, VMAA trophy, which for those who are listening abroad or whatever, is a, yeah. it's a local state um, club versus club kind of competition, and it involves different disciplines and, and you know, they're not the traditional disciplines, you know, like I think you do a limbo comp, don't you, and, you know, various different things. So, yeah, it's an inter-club state-based kind of uh, thing. And, and, Cliff, you've been a, a champion at those events, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah I've, I've supported it very well, yeah. Um, I think it's a bit sad. It's, it's, it's run its race now. It's uh, it got down to only two. I think two clubs entered it all. Yeah, it was. It's it's had a bit of a lull. They cancelled it this year due to, to lack but of numbers, kind of thing. I'll tell you why, Andrew, because they've runners all out of trainers and things because they've 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 done as low as they can go to make them the, the competitions crash and bash competitions, you know, um, and and uh, that's not really impressing. Uh, it's it's sort of fun on the day when you see them all smashing them up. But uh, it's it, it's lost its standard. Uh, first of all, we used to have a race. We used to have their own set of rules for a race, and it was really good. But it had three heats, and and it was great, great. And uh, and, and that was well, well. Every club was in it. All right. There was another event called Funfly, which was doing a roll, a loop. Uh, sorry, a roll, a loop, a roll three times and landing. You know. You're like, and timed event, and and the guys were getting really good at that. I scrapped that event as well, and and they brought in things. Well, I just call them. They're like balloon bursting competitions, you know, like things that don't matter, you know. And and the standard's gone. It's just a, it's a rough old day now, and it's. Just, and I think that the guys. There's so many models have been crashed in all these events. I don't think guys have got them lying around to bring them now, you know. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe it needs a bit of a. Bit of a rethink then. I, I don't believe the committee of the VMAA have done a very good job of that. Mm. Yeah, it's, I think it's hard, it's hard to get numbers to turn up to some of these things, but it need uh, yeah a bit of a different approach, no doubt. That's it's always the case. People out there, if something's not working, it's and uh, you can't sit there and expect that people are going to turn up to something that they're not interested in. So you've got to make it interesting. So maybe you need to do something different. Going to, yeah. instead of turning left, turn right, and try that and see what it does. And, it doesn't take much to get it going, though, again, if you just get a bit of enthusiasm amongst the clubs and, and pick some fun events, like like you're talking about combat. Like, yeah. Go to Bansdale, go to Sale, and you'll see at every event that they'll run, there'll be some sort of combat and the enthusiasm of the people to go and grab their combat models, and then other people watch that and go, well, I want to do that. And then, and then, like at the Sale Club, they started developing their own design that, you know, some sort of foamy that could be built in a night that you can use for combat because if you stack it, you know, Again, you get that club involvement and that enthusiasm. Yeah. Enthusiasm yeah. breeds enthusiasm. Yeah. Yeah, you need more enthusiasm. Yeah. But the VMAA trophy goes way back. It used to be called 
the Futaba Trophy when the Futaba yeah. agency used to um, sponsor it. But that's a long yeah. time ago. That's when I started flying in it. Yeah. Maybe but they I, can call it the flat-out RC fun flying. We, we run – the Doncaster Club ran, won it nine times in a row. Oh, no. Nine times in a row. And, and, uh, that, and I used to say to the guys in the trophy, I said, it's just because we practice it, mate. That's <laughs> just, true. Just practice it. You could win it. Well, that is true. Well, Cliff, look, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure and honour to have you on the podcast. It, 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 we've we finally got it done, uh, and it's a first. It's the first uh, phone interview, which which worked well, I think, and it's the first part one, part two, because I knew, as I said to you the other day, I said this is going to be the first part one, part two, Cliff, because we have so much ground to cover, and I'm glad I've got your history on record now. So a big thank you for joining me on the Flat Out RC podcast. Yeah, all right. That's great. Um, I'm glad I've done it. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. Thanks very much. About to leave, already packing. Come with me, I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. A big thank you to Cliff. Uh, we had a big two-hour chat, so I hope you enjoyed that and uh, uh, learned a bit from Cliff and uh, got to know Cliff a bit more. So big thank you to Cliff and a big thank you to everyone for joining us here on the Flat Out RC podcast. Don't forget, jump on the YouTube channel, see uh, some of our latest videos. Instagram and Facebook are still firing, so get on board. And a big thank you to all those people that came up to me at the Shepherd and Mammoth Scale Flying and said that they're enjoying the podcast. I really, really do appreciate that and it, it, uh, it's good news um, as I said I do this podcast because I enjoy it and it's good to hear that other people enjoy it and the amount of people that are enjoying it whilst they're driving in the car going somewhere on their way to work or in the shed whilst they're working on the model planes that is the image that I envisioned for this podcast so I'm glad that I'm sort of delivering for some people so a big thank you and I really appreciate uh, appreciate the support as I said keep enjoying it so I'll keep on doing it and we've got more coming good episode next week You've got to come back, especially if you're into motors, engines, petrol-powered engines. Anyway, stay tuned. Thanks for joining me. A classic cliche, we're on the run. This is what we waited.